Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And I think that one of the biggest, one of the biggest traumas to us with the situation was that my sister and I were never really allowed to get any help for it. We were told that we were making it up, that we were lying. The entire family was essentially turned against us. I mean, that was the story that everybody kind of repeated. You know, you guys aren't making that up. You you shouldn't talk about that. It's not something that we want to deal with. And so my sister, I think, suffered tremendously because of that. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls and the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives and that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand What makes you, you? What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are? Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hey my beautiful friend, if you suffer from anxiety and are sick of all the ways it's taking over your life, please take a look at Panic Away. For over 10 years now, Panic Away has been showing people how to break anxious patterns and get their old carefree self back, the person they were before anxiety ruled their life. Panic Away shows you how to break the anxiety loop and it gives your nervous system a chance to relax. It's totally drug-free and highly successful and it helps people with all levels of anxiety. Panic Away comes with a full money-back guarantee, so you really have nothing to lose and everything to gain. It's time to take back control of your life, your happiness, and your freedom. 
A life free of anxiety is like living an entirely different life. Click the link in the show notes for access to Panic Away. Hey, beautiful souls. Welcome back to the podcast. As I've said many, many times, abuse is not always loud and chaotic. It can be silent and chaotic. It can be silent and terrifying. It can be silent and desperately lonely. Aaron was abandoned in every possible way from as far back as she can remember by a mother who was cruel, cold and manipulative. She was neglected, unloved, controlled. She was never seen or heard. She was treated like a piece of trash by her own mother. Erin wanted to believe that she belonged, that somebody could love her, that she was worthy of being loved. And when you have never known love, you are desperate to know it because it's a basic human need, right? Kids don't get drawn into a cult for no reason. Kids don't leave home for no reason. They don't live on the streets for no reason. Kids will go looking for that love. And that's how Erin ended up in a cult, continuing to be manipulated and controlled because she'd been conditioned to do that from a lifetime of living with a narcissistic mother. Please join me in hearing Erin's story. Erin, welcome to the How My Parents Raised Me podcast. You are a child abuse prevention expert and community coordinator And you are in graduate school studying psychology and you are good enough to reach out and let me know that you have a very important story you would like to share. This story involves sexual abuse, physical abuse, psychological abuse. So for listeners, please take this as a trigger warning and take care in choosing to listen to this story if you feel you might be triggered. You speak about both of your biological parents as being sociopaths and drug addicts. Did you grow up with your mother and your father in the same house? No, actually I did not. My biological father left the household when I was about 18 months old. It was a little bit of a pattern for him. He has other families besides ours and he was really kind of kept away from us from my mother so we were really not allowed to get to know him until later on when we were able to make that our choice okay so your father left and then your mother didn't really allow you to spend time with him at all no I mean actually we were estranged from his family as well and I do know now about his family that you know he was one of seven siblings and there were lots of cousins and there would have been a really good opportunity for me to have that family growing up but they, that I was estranged from them yeah and how did that feel when you weren't able to see your father I mean was it just you just felt like that was normal or did you always feel like you wished he was around? Yeah, there was just, there was always this lingering, just this lingering wonder, you know, just, you know, I, we will go into public places sometimes and be like, is, is that our father? You know, because we would hear stories like, oh, your father, he looks like Tom Petty. And so any man that we would see that we thought resembled Tom Petty, we were like, oh, could that potentially be our father? We were just always curious. 
Yeah, it would be hard, wouldn't it? Yeah, and then, you know, there were times that he was around and, you know, we knew he was around. You know, next town over, you know, we could have bumped into him and we wouldn't have known him. Oh, so he, he never actually met you at any any point? No, he tried, I think, one time and he was really out of touch. She was pretty out of touch with our ages. I remember he brought um, gifts for both myself and my sister. They, they were nightgowns and I ended up wearing her nightgown because it, hers, it didn't fit her. So she was my older sister. And so he hadn't been out of touch for a few years, you know, how big we even were. Yeah. So you grew up with your mom. And she had a partner. When did this partner come into the story? So my mother's new partner was actually friends with my father. So my mother frequented a group of friends as far as like dating companions went. And so she ended up with one of my father's friends. Um, growing up, they obviously didn't tell that story. I didn't tell that, learn that story until later, you know, so they knew him much much more than they uh, let on and so there was a lot of drug use you know so my mom's new partner wasn't wasn't a great person my mother didn't protect us from him you know, she just sort of let him I guess do what he wanted and it was it was his father that molested us my sister and I I don't have a lot of memory of it, which I'm really kind of grateful for. I do have one memory where he was very stern with me because I had thrown up or vomited into the backseat of his car. To this day, actually, I can't listen to country music in the backseat of a car. I get, I get ill. I, I vomit. So it's a trigger for me. But my sister, you know, went through that over and over again. So at what age was this happening? Oh, gosh, I was very young. Very, very young. For me, it was you know, between the ages of like two and four. And for my sister, she's a little bit older than myself. So for her, it was between the ages of like four and six. Yeah. And so you were left in the care of the father of your mother's partner. Is that, so you were just left in his care? Yeah. My mother actually very quickly married him and had our names changed. And I, and I really do believe that she did that to spite my father. So, you know, part of that is, you know, my sister and I grew up with this name attached to us. It didn't mean anything to us and the name of this man who had molested us. So that in itself was a little bit painful. And I think that one of the biggest, one of the biggest traumas to us with the situation was that my sister and I were never really allowed to get any help for it. We were told that we were making it up, that we were lying. The entire family was essentially turned against us. I mean, that was the story that everybody kind of repeated. You know, you guys aren't making that up. You, you shouldn't talk about that. It's not something that we want to deal with. And so my sister, I think, suffered tremendously because of that. So you were trying to talk to them about what had happened with this, this older man that was looking after you? Yes. Yeah. And, and nobody was listening to that. There was, a, there was a period of time when I was young and my sister went to live with my grandmother. And it was related to that situation. She was removed from the home and went and lived with my grandmother for um, almost a year. And I don't have much memory of that period of time, but from what I understand, I remained in the home. Wow. Wow. So they, they must have had some awareness about what was going on. An issue had come up at school. I think my sister had, had had mentioned something at school. Right. And so then your 
so your mother remarried and then they had children no so 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 soon after like the whole scandal and like the issue with my sister going to live with my grandmother that relationship ended and then my mother got remarried again um still another friend of my father's which is what it is but he you know they were together for a long time and they're still together now so that's a you know 20-30 relationship that that they have had that they've maintained so essentially he's that that man is essentially my stepfather and he had two children of three children of his own when he came into the relationship so there's there were two different men in in your life as you were growing up and so this man had children already and how did that dynamic work in your family with all of the different kids well my sister and I were were kind of pushed aside you know my mother was very quick to please this man in her life and so she put his kids first she put them before she put us you know the older one the story behind that was you know she hasn't had a childhood much of her own she she really needs to be spoiled a little bit she deserves it because they come from a place where their mother had left them there was a lot of drug use you know there was a lot of opiate use that was occurring between the friend group that my mom was dating so you know they those kids had trauma of their own and the and the boy he was he was very violent towards us he was a very jealous person and he would take it out by hurting us so this was sustained abuse from this child that you had to live with in your home yeah. And well, I mean, and the female child, she was no better. I mean, she had, she has essentially assaulted me and injured me to the point where I couldn't go to school. So it was both of them. And nobody was listening to you when you were trying to say, this is what's happening or was it clear what was happening? Could you, could your mom see everything that was happening and there was no help? Well, I think that's tricky because I think at this point I had already kind of become a withdrawn person. And so, I mean, I think the issues were known, but there wasn't really any avenue to get help from that, you know. And then actually it was my real biological sister, the one who sustained the sexual abuse, who was really, when I got older, was really very violent towards me. She was the one that harmed me the most. But there were there were reasons for why we were like that with each other there were disparities among us you know that our parents they threw in our face and they, they did things to us that was purposeful they they would like they would know that one child was really especially interested in a thing and then they would give it to another child and then they would kind of like rub it in their face I don't I, it's hard to explain it was always like somebody else was always being given what you needed it's manipulation, isn't it? Yes, it's, it was it's, a lot of manipulation. Yeah, it's manipulation and just playing kids off of kids. It's like wanting to have full control of everybody in that house and just it's like your little pawns, aren't you? And everybody's getting kind of played against each other in a way. Yeah, I think that explains that explains some of it for sure. Yeah, that's a really hard place to be as well, isn't it? I mean... What age were you when this was happening? Well, um, I'm I'm sort of the baby in the family. So, you know, this it was just kind of always like that for me. It got a little bit tougher when um, my stepfather was reunited with his estranged daughter, who was my age, and then she came into the picture. So then that was really 
the disparity was really outrageous at that point you know it was like purposeful causing of like jealousy and I've never really considered myself to be much of a jealous person it's not a feeling that I especially relate to and I think it's because it's been used against me as a tool so much but my sister for example she's been extremely jealous and that's caused her rage and violence and it's been it's unfortunate yeah absolutely and so can you tell me a little bit about your mother and her story? Because it sounds like she, she's obviously got a lot of issues. What was her life like growing up? Do you know much of Yeah, I do know a little bit of that. And I mean, I, I think that because of some of what I do know, I give her the benefit of the doubt somewhat because I know that when my mother was just a few months old, my grandmother got tuberculosis and was sent to a sanatorium and spent over a year there recovering from tuberculosis and my mother was just an infant and was gone to live with some other relative so I haven't got a clue what that bonding was like but I can imagine that being taken away from your mother when you're only like about two months old it can can't be easy you know as far as like forming a normal attachment and I and that's what I understand about my mother is that we weren't we never formed a normal attachment. I don't know that she was ever capable of it. On top of the fact that I wasn't wanted, and I think that when you're a child that you come into a relationship and you're not wanted, that on its own adds to the risk of, of neglect and emotional abuse. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's that's really interesting, isn't it? When you talk about the fact that your mother wasn't able to really bond with her own mother and therefore she didn't really sort of have the ability to do that to understand what she you know needed to do as a mother I guess yeah it's it's really sad when you see that sort of cycle happening I just wonder why she felt that she needed to treat you all so differently it is so manipulative isn't it yeah. yeah and so there were four of you living in the house four siblings yeah primarily Yep. And, yeah. and, and, and until, you know, I was in, oh, maybe I was in about the fifth or sixth grade and my parents had tried to become foster parents. And so the state came in and interviewed us and did an assessment and decided that they didn't want to put a foster child in that home. So instead they went through a program called the Fresh Air Fund. And it was a program that was designed to bring inner city children into rural areas so that they could experience sunshine and beaches and freedom, you know, from, from whatever was stressing them out from living in the inner city. So we, so they brought in a child for a summer and it ended up being a permanent arrangement with all the cousins coming to visit me, take, essentially taking care of them. So that was interesting. And then, you know, and then it continued because, you know, when, when the first child, when, when Ramar first came to, to stay with us, you know, he was just doted upon like in a way that I had never you know like like our, my basic essentials weren't met like I don't remember ever being given a dollar for lunch for school like I was just expected I was gonna scrounge up together myself I bought school clothes myself like I had my first job when I was 13 years old you know selling corn and potatoes on the side of the road and you know he was being given five six dollars a day and being bought designer sneakers and just you know being treated like he was the king and stealing for me and you know just doing doing some shady stuff and it was just kind of they were looking the other way and um, I think that this is complicated for me because I think of it as like a type of racism where I think that my mother was trying to get all of this 
positive like reinforcement and validation from the people in the community that she was a good person doing something good for these these poor little black children you know and I hate to put it that way because I think that what she did was good but I think that there was a sinister side to it yeah makes my skin kind of crawl (laughs) so yeah so you think that she she wanted to foster kids just because that would make her look like a better person yes yeah that's pretty screwed up isn't it especially when it sounds like it was just you were there just struggling to kind of survive in this environment and she just wasn't ever giving you any kind of love or care and yet a stranger you know a child who was a complete stranger comes into the house and is is treated like you say like the king it's must have been so confusing for you yeah I think confusing is a good word for it I don't know I just I was such a I was just such an accepting kid Mm. you know that my heart and my arms were always open to all of it and I always just saw the good in everybody and everything and I I think I don't know it's it, it it's hard for me to put myself back there and realize how vulnerable I was. <laughs> when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah. And you said that you actually were given the, the job to look after these kids as well. So your, your mum not only brought these kids in, treated them like, you know, so differently to the way you were treated and then you were meant to actually look after them? Yeah, that came a little bit later when she, and so my stepfather had picked up, he had started doing drugs again, I guess is the best way to say that. He had started using opiates off the street and he was looking to retire. I mean, he, he could if he wanted. So he decided he was going to, a back injury kind of pushed him to, to that point you know he was an addict before so when he had his back injury it was like it just the floodgates opened up for him and the retirement age and then all the money that he got from having this really good job working for the railroad for 20 plus years and it was a rabbit hole for them because that's where the addiction started and my mother got dragged into that too and so they both um, decided that they were going to enjoy their money and be absent and they just neglected their responsibilities and 
there I was. I was I had just graduated high school and was doing like my first year of college and was kind of settled with this responsibility of taking care of at the time it was four kids that were not my siblings. Wow. And how long did they disappear for? It was about a, about a summer. And they left you there for weeks to look after these kids. Yeah. Oh my and, gosh. Originally, I knew they were leaving and they left me $200. And I, they were supposed to be gone for two weeks. And that $200 was gone the first time we went grocery shopping. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So how did you even manage? Were, were you able to get help from somebody else? Or? No, I mean, I was, I was a responsible person. I, I had a job. Wow. So I took care of them. I stepped up. Gosh, what an, ama- <laughs> what an amazing, I mean, it's just, it's just crazy to, to think that there you are, this beautiful human sort of trapped in all of this chaos going on around you that it hasn't, hasn't changed you completely because in, in, I mean, going down a path of, of following in their footsteps, you know, you've remained true to yourself and you've, stepped up and actually looked after these kids it just says so much about who you are as a person you say that but I've I've lost I've I've lost a lot I've, I've lost tremendously you know I, I I'm a cynical person you know my my humor's turned dark I don't trust anybody I don't let anybody get close you know and uh there's there's a lot more to the story but not really related to so much my childhood it's just my crappy parents kind of following me through my life for far too long (laughs) yeah I totally understand that I just I guess I meant just you know like you had still had this beautiful heart but of course the things that have happened will have had a, a massive impact on you over your lifetime and I know going back maybe to earlier in your story you mentioned something about a neighbor and something that happened there. Can you talk about that? Oh, I think I know what you're alluding to. Yeah, my sister was babysitting for this neighbor. And actually it was, he he had a girlfriend and she was like 20 years younger than him. And the girlfriend had a young child and they were in a relationship. So they were living together. So my sister would go down there and babysit. I did think it was a little bit weird that like my sister would go babysit, but like they never really went anywhere. <laughs> like they'd be like gardening or hanging out because they lived on the lake and then they pay her really well. I mean, like now looking back at it absurdly well. So my sister is like, Hey, you know, do this babysitting gig. Like you, you like it. You'll make good money. So at first it was like, it was like, it wasn't, it wasn't that weird. Like, you know, she was there. I mean, I was a little bit uncomfortable babysitting her kid with her there kind of watching me. But the next time I went over there, like it was him that was there and he had managed, I guess, to let me, well, he sucked on my toes. The next time that I was there, he was hanging out in his robe with his legs wide open and just kind of everything just exposed, like completely nude underneath. You know, and I'm like a 14 year old girl. And then (laughs) I don't even know what I was thinking, but I got drunk over there one night, like really obscenely drunk. And I had probably alcohol poisoning because I was sick for two days afterwards. I went back the next following two days and babysat, you know, I was making good, I was making like 60 bucks every time I was going babysitting. And I was just in this really unsafe situation. 
you know, looking back at it, I'm just like, why did I keep going back there? So eventually I was just like, you know what, when I came out of the, the alcohol haze of being drunk for two days, I decided that I was going to tell my parents about what was going on over there. And they just essentially did nothing. Like nothing was ever said about it. Like they just didn't do anything. And my sister continued to go over there and babysit for a year or more. Like it just wasn't. And my sister, my sister was, you know, more impressionable and far more naive than I am. Yeah. So I was concerned about her. Yeah. Wow. And I, you just, you can just feel how vulnerable you were in that situation. Because when we're 14, we have no idea what we're doing, right? I mean, you can look back and say, oh, I don't know why I kept going back, but you're 14, you're still just a child. You know, you're just doing kind of what you think you're meant to do and you just don't realise the danger that you're in and uh, it's just so scary. But I think the creepy part about it when you're a kid is that you tell your parents something like that and you want them minimally to protect you. Yeah. But, you know, like bare minimum, like if this person is your associate, like if this person is coming to your house, and like you're trading favors with this person or you're hanging out or you're going fishing with this person, like stop. Like this person like assaulted your daughter. Like, why are you pretending like this person is still your friend? And that didn't happen, you know, and he would come over and we'd be at the pool in our bathing suits and there he would be just kind of lingering with our parents knowing that, you know, he had essentially been a total creep to us. So. It's so weird, isn't it? Like, you look at yourself with your own children and you just know that it's just so far beyond anything that's acceptable for yourself. It's just hard to imagine what people are thinking, what's going on in their brains when they're behaving that way. And yeah, it's just very, very hard. But I know you finally left your your home. Can you tell us how that came about I just was I was pretty strong-willed um you know I guess I guess in fairness to my mother somewhat one of the things that she did do for me was she was adamant that I was going to go to college you know I was the smart one that was my pedestal in the family like you're the smart one you know she made everybody feel dumb by my standard (laughs) which didn't make me feel very good but you know I was that was what I was and so I was going to go to college it was expected of me so, so I went, I paid for that myself and I worked two jobs to go to college, but I did. And then I, I went to college and that's what kind of got me out of there. And then I met a man and I moved to New York with him and I ended up in a messianic doomsday cult. Wow. So could you, could you explain what that cult is? I don't know the name of that. Well, that's just the description of the type of cult that they are. So messianic doomsday means that they believe in a messiah that brings messages of doomsday, essentially the end of the world. And so they spend their time and money preparing for the end of the world, you know, safe homes, stockpiling, food, clothes, ammunition, stuff like that. Pretty, they get pretty pretty intense pretty nutty um and so vulnerable as I was with with my roots what they were you know thought that here it is I got a chance to belong to this family and you know they were they were interesting Um, they were made up of a lot of like important people you know people who were successful had good jobs you know his his 
parents, his dad was a corporate lawyer, his mom was a uh, college professor. There were authors and screenplays, you know, in the, in the family. So I was, I was ecstatic. Wow. So you met this, this man at college? Is that where you met him? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And wow. So, so when you say a cult, what do you mean by that? Because I, I guess when I think of a cult, it's like some land where everybody's living in a cult situation. Can you explain how the, the cult side of it worked? Yeah, well, thanks for asking that question because uh, I think the hardest thing with me bringing this up is that I don't want to offend anybody. And I think that sometimes when I mention this, the first thing that people think of is my church. And I want people to understand that this is not church. This, that is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about no church. I'm talking about, you know, back bedrooms and hotel rooms. Like this is where the sermons happen. Like everything that you do is in secret. You know, you, you don't tell the public who you are and you don't let anybody know who you affiliate with. And you sign a contract that says that you will not mention the group outside the group, you know, kind of like Fight Club. I guess that's the example I like to use. And so the people in this cult very much are like the leader of the Fight Club. where They have these two personas, you know, they have the public persona where they go to work and they practice law. And they, and they seemingly follow the laws. And then they have the, uh, their second persona where they really think that all of the laws of society are complete bullshit. And they have their own political structure. And, the, and that's what they really believe at the heart of the core of everything. So that really undermines their integrity when it comes to like practicing in the real world. And, I'm, and I've seen that play out, but that's another story. <laughs> but, you know, they're just like, <sighs> Be completely narcissistic, just a group of completely narcissistic people that want to believe that there's something special about them and everybody else is going to burn in hell. And, and they like that. Yeah. And so how easily were you drawn into this? Because I guess you've come from this place where you weren't valued or loved and, and how do they draw you into that? Because you're this really vulnerable human aren't you I was desperate I was desperate for love I, I wanted to believe that I belonged you know that that somebody could love me or that I was worthy of being loved and and even though like my like my mother made it so confusing for me because what was worthy of love one day wasn't the next so you know I was always constantly questioning like how do I get that but with them it was like yeah there's this way you know, you just kind of do this, like, and it was like this way that had health benefits, like there was, there, there were positive things to it, and I was like, so you're telling me that, like, if I just do these things, that I'm going to be loved and accepted, I'm like, that's easy. Yeah, this story is incredibly hard. We're going to leave Erin here for this week, and we will be back next week with part two, as Erin finds herself being drawn in and controlled by this messianic cult. Join me then for the conclusion to Erin's story. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at my big love project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. 
your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week. Thank you.